let's start off with scoffers. Uh, the word in the original language is also translated mockers. And it is different from the word of false teachers uh, that Peter deals with in the second chapter of the same book. Um, if you look over at verse 16 of chapter 3, we see there that it deals with false teachers and things that happen uh, to make them. So it says in verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which, now uh, grab this, untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of Scripture. So false teachers, what they do is they twist things to their own destruction, twisting the Scriptures. To contrast that, a scoffer, a mocker, the original word deals with the idea of, of child's play, of being delusional or being unstable. And there are four specific things that Peter gives to his reading audience and thus by way of the Holy Spirit to us this morning that teach us about scoffers these who are like treating uh, the word of God and the body of God with child's play, they are delusional and unstable. The first thing of the four that Peter teaches us is that they will come in the last days. And we see that there are many references around us even this morning, that we are in the last of the last days. Every uh, generation believed that. Can you imagine the early church as Rome conquered uh, and the um, diaspora, the, the spreading of, of Jews all across the globe to keep from uh, being the ones that would uh, fall to the persecution of that day and moving forward, you have uh, church history that is filled with um, horrific things. The Inquisition, you move forward all the way, you know, through the Dark Ages, and you have the Reformation and, and the Word of God landing in the hands of the people. And, Maybe that generation, of course, thinking this is it, Jesus is going to come. And then we move forward into world wars. And especially as we looked at World War II, I'm sure uh, the average Christian would have thought uh, the Antichrist had arrived and that it was, you know, the stage was set for Jesus to return. And yet here we are still. But there's a purpose in that. I'm going to speak to that in just a moment. But the promise is that scoffers in these last days will come. One of the things we're told about the last days is in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 3, it says, Don't let anyone deceive you by any means for that day, the last days, that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, 
and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The article in front of the word falling away, the, makes it a definite point in time. It's not a falling away, but the falling away. And I would venture to place before you this morning that as it relates to uh, the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ, there is a great falling away from the things of a biblical God, from the things of a biblical Christ. But encouragingly, at the same time that there's this great falling away, there are remnants of revival taking place as well. People are hungry for truth and for the reality of Christ making a difference in their lives. And so certainly by 2 Thessalonians 2.3, we would say yes, also a sign that the last days are upon us. Remember what the Lord promised in Matthew 7.21. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of God. And some will say, but Lord, have we not prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name? And what did Jesus promise he would say? He would say, depart from me, I never knew you. And there's a prolific amount of uh, good doers in the scope of what is often looked upon as the church that these wonders are happening and things are going on. But, you know, the real bottom line here is, do you know Jesus and does he know you? Can you say without a doubt this morning that he knows me and I know him? And then on top of that, as, as if those things weren't enough, we have, of course, the, the time clock of God is the nation of Israel. And so as, as I walked us through a little bit of church history from the beginning all the way forward to, to World War II, guess what didn't happen uh, until after World War II, May 1948, Israel became a nation again. And uh, we had a glorious time while we were away. We went on a, a cruise to Alaska. I know you feel sorry for me. But while we were on that cruise, one of the things that made this cruise so extremely special, it was a, it was a prophecy cruise. And uh, our keynote speakers, uh, March Hitchcock, uh, Barry Stagner, and then uh, the keynote speaker, Amir Safari, whose emphasis and focus and specialty, if you will, is biblical prophecy and how the Bible prophetically tells us where we are in the scope of, of God's plan for man and Jesus' imminent return. And we have such great uh, teaching during that time, encouraged as the church. You know, one of the things, that, there were many things that were beautiful about it, but um, for instance, we'd go have a meal and you'd sit next to someone that you didn't know that was a Christian. You, they come from a different background. I mean, there were, there were people from all over, Christians from all over the world there. And uh, 
plethora of denominational backgrounds and non-denominational backgrounds, <clears throat> if that makes sense to you. And you'd sit next to somebody that, that didn't come from your background at all, came from a totally different background. And you'd get to know them a little bit. You'd speak with them, you know. And, and then the meal was over, and it was time to go to a session. And uh, there were 940 people in this theater for these teachings. And we were up on a balcony, and we'd have a time of worship. And as we were worshiping, the, the whole body of Christ was worshiping, and you look down, and, oh, there's that, there's that person that we spoke to. And if they looked at you, they might go like that. And to me, that's just like how it's going to be in heaven. You're going to walk into heaven, and you, you, it's like you're going to see somebody at the other side of the pearly gates that the only way you know each other is in Christ. And we were reminded all week long of the, the, the importance of the nation of Israel's part in the coming of the Messiah. I mean, God promised it over and over again. Uh, Jeremiah 31, 35, Thus saith the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day and the ordinance of the moon and the stars for a light by night, who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, in other words, the sun goes away, the seas go away, and all of that stops happening, he says, if those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. In other words, they're here and they're not going anywhere as a nation until Christ comes back. And man, are we like on the cusp of that. Zechariah 2.10, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Where is he going to dwell? He's going to dwell. He's going to put his foot on uh, the Mount of Olives, and he's going to step. And if you're familiar with church timeline at all, you know, uh, there will be seven-year tribulation, three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of a great tribulation. Then Christ will come and reign and rule on the earth for a thousand years. Amos 9.14, I will bring back the captives of my people Israel and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them and they shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. So, you can hear the passion in me that we're reminded for an entire week of the importance of the nation of Israel, the Israeli people, the Jew. God, is not, God has not replaced the Jew with the church. The church is not Israel. And God has graciously turned his attention to the Gentile world at this time. But, I mean... We are in the last of the last days. That's the first thing that Peter makes clear is that scoffers will come in the last days. We also see how they will be identified. You see it there in verse 3. The way that they will be identified is that they will walk according to their own lusts. And 
So what we know of, of, of a scoffer, uh, someone who treats the things of God with child's play, who is delusional, who is unstable, that they'll be consumed with an inordinate desire. That's what lust is. It's an inordinate desire. And so the scoffer will walk according to an inordinate desire. The third thing that Peter tells us is what, uh, who they will try to affect and discourage. Notice there in verse 4, he says that they are saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning. So the scoffer is intending to impact the life of the believer and breathe doubt and sow um, question into the heart of the believer based on the fact that they speak these words. Where is his coming? <clears throat> Which is interesting to me uh, because, as we'll see in just a moment, it alludes to something. In other words, how could a scoffer say where is the promise of his coming in a, in a way that doubts it unless they had heard of it or even further may have known it? And this comes to light, especially in the fourth and last thing that we learn about scoffers there in verses 5 through 7. Notice it says that for this they willfully forget, and we'll come back to that in just a moment, they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day, until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Peter opens this up for us when he, he says the, the fourth thing that is true of a scoffer is that they willfully forget. Which means they did know. At one time, they, they knew of the coming of the Lord. They knew of the promise of his return. But they choose to forget it for the purpose of sowing doubt, living according to their own inordinate desires, which fuels the fact that we are in the last of the last days. Peter wants to make clear what scoffers look like and what they do. The second thing that Peter brings to us in this chapter, as I mentioned, of course, is the Lord and his day, or the Lord's day. It is brought to us primarily uh, in verse 9 and forward. If you'll read that with me, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, 
in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So he turns his attention to two things, the Lord and the Lord's day. And we see there in in verse 9, we see two very prominent things about the Lord himself. Number one, uh, that the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. The word slack, we all probably kind of get a sense of what, what that means, especially in the context of what Peter is writing. But the original language pulls it out for us in a clear sense. It means slow. So Peter is writing and he's saying that the, the Lord Jesus, he's not slow concerning, notice, his promise. What promise? The promise that he made that he would return. <laughs> he's not slow about uh, keeping that promise. You remember in John 14, 3, that Jesus told his disciples, I I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be there also, and that it's necessary for him to go. go. But I will come again, he says, that you may be where I am. You remember in the, the first chapter of the book of Acts when Luke records for us that the, the disciples had been standing on a hillside where they had seen Jesus ascend. If you go to the end of the Gospel of Luke, uh, Luke not only wrote his Gospel, but he wrote the book of Acts. And the very last uh, section in, in the Gospel of Luke tells us that there, the disciples were there and they watched Jesus ascend to heaven. Well, you go fast forward to the first chapter of the book of Acts and Luke kind of picks up the story and, and the account and tells us that what happened is the disciples were still standing there just kind of gazing, looking up, and, and an angel came and said, Men of Galilee, why stand ye here? King James speech. Why are you standing here gazing to heaven? This same Jesus who you watched ascend will come in like manner. And so he's not slow about keeping his promise. He has promised to return and he will come, but Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, brings out to us again what the Lord's desires are in his delay, if we would call it that, I would, that's an incorrect word, but in his uh, waiting before he comes again, what are his do- desires right there in verse 9, the end of the verse, that none would perish. He's not willing that any should perish. Now, I think it's important to understand, I felt it was important for me to understand, maybe you would find it important for you to understand as well, is that what did the Lord mean, the Spirit of God mean, when he says that the Lord is not willing, if he is omniscient, 
Can't he do anything? He is all powerful. There's nothing he can't do except, here's a, here's a youth group question and an adult question. Is there anything God can't do? Most people will say, no, nothing's too hard for a God. That's true. But is there anything God can't do? Yes. He can't go against his word. And so here we have the scriptures defining the Lord being willing. What does it mean? Well, again, little Greek lexicon, Greek dictionary, whatever. It tells us that the word means intended or deposed to. So, put it together. Peter tells us that the Lord has never intended that any should perish. He is not deposed to any to perish. Well, then why would some perish? Because God gave us free will. And he will not violate his, his will. He will not violate the choice of mankind. Because a choice to recognize a need for salvation and the love of the Savior Jesus is a meaningful choice that must take place. So he brings to our attention things about the Lord. He also brings to our attention the things uh, about the Lord's day, his day. You notice there in verse 10, as we read it, it said that the, the day of the Lord, uh, two things that we find out is that, number one, it will come unexpectedly. But you might put next to that, if you're taking note, but not unknowingly. Okay, the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly, but not unknowingly. You remember that Jesus said, in Matthew 24, 36, he said that no man knows the hour or the day, not even the angels in heaven, but my Father only. So the Father God is the one in charge of, of pulling that eternal go button, if you will, that will send our Savior uh, out of the clouds down uh, to meet us in the air, uh, the rapture of the church, the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up, rapturus in the, in the Latin, and to meet him in the air, and so shall we ever be with him. Oh, come, Lord Jesus. And we don't know when that day is going to, it's going to come unexpected. Remember when Jesus talked about uh, if you knew a thief was coming. And many of us today, you know, in our culture here in the West, uh, you probably locked your doors. If you don't live in Valley Springs, a lot of Valley Springs don't lock their doors. But in the cities and stuff, people lock their doors. You lock your car. You know, why? Because you don't want a thief to come in. If you knew he was going to come in, then you would be prepared. But you don't know when a thief is going to come in. So you lock everything so that the thief won't come in and take your stuff or take my stuff. I remember one year we were camping at uh, Bodega Bay, right? And uh, 
we had these two beautiful, they were so pretty. They were red Honda generators. And they made such a nice purr when they ran. And they kept the air conditioner in the coach working. And it was like they were beautiful. And we had them chained up. I mean, the, chain, the, the links on the chain were that big. And we had them chained up, you know, big lock on them. And we woke up one morning and whoosh, they were gone. Now, if we had known they were going to do that when they did that, we would have maybe done something different, picked them up, put them in the coach or something. That's just it. You and I don't know the day or the hour that the Lord's day will take place, the coming. But we see the signs. He will come as a, it will come, that day will come as a, as a thief in the night, we're told. And then the second thing we're told by the Apostle Peter about the day of the Lord is that it will be accompanied by certain things. Notice, uh, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in them, uh, it will be burned up. I know uh, because I've watched enough documentaries and am a baby boomer myself, a product of World War II. You know, when we dropped atom bombs on uh, Nagasaki and Hiroshima, you know, <clears throat> the, the general sense of the world at that time was though it created surrender by the Japanese army and the, the, the Pacific theater then was now uh, under control, was that we had unleashed something uh, that was clearly able to produce what Scripture talks about here. And one of the things that is fearful about multiple nations having multiple nuclear warheads ready to be launched at any time, I mean, I don't want you to live in fear, but it could happen any moment. Iran wants to destroy Israel, Russia is in the mix there. I mean, once somebody starts throwing nuclear warheads around, this could very well, and I'm not over-dramatizing anything, this could very well be the scene in which we see. So the Lord and his day scoffers and they're coming. Lastly, Peter brings his attention to the beloved. Notice with me several of the verses in which the beloved come to view. Of course, verse 1 of chapter 3, we read it. He says, beloved, I now write. Uh, he says it in verse 8. Notice but beloved. And then he says it again in verse 17, if you look all the way there, but you therefore beloved. And so there are six things that the Apostle Peter wants to focus on as he brings the beloved into view. 
The first we looked at this morning just a bit ago is that he's, he's intending to stir up the pure mind of every believer. He wants that his word, that his truth, that this thing called the eternal, inerrant, powerful and quick and alive word of God would shake up the mind of every believer to live in such a way that he's talking about. To live with the understanding that scoffers are going to come in the last days and look around, we could very well be in the last of the last days. But verse 8, he speaks, notice, he says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. So he does want to stir up their pure minds. He does want them to know that scoffers are going to come, but he doesn't want them to forget the Lord's view of time. Notice, The verse says, but beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. We live in what's called the time continuum. If you've ever, uh, Thanksgiving Day, maybe we turn on our tubes, right? uh, One of our favorite Traditions in our home is to watch the Thanksgiving Day Parade. Uh, And so you can see that parade from a variety of perspectives, but depending on where you are in the line of the parade, the parade goes by you and you see this part. Uh, Then these people down here see the same part that you saw. Then these people down here see the same part that you saw. But if you were up here you could see the beginning and the end. We live like we're on the line watching the parade go by. God is outside of time. He's outside of the time continuum. And in that outside perspective, he he knows he needs to give mankind some sort of scaffolding, something to hook onto, some way to understand that he is omniscient, he is eternal, and that we are finite. And so here, let me tell you, mankind, how to view this. To me, God, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. Now, some of you probably read this verse over and over again, but it it never gets old to repeat it that as it relates to the coming of the Lord, it's only been a couple of days. In God's heart, that puts it in perspective, right? It's only been a couple of days. Don't forget that. In verse 11, we find him speaking to the beloved again. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved. And here is what he wants the beloved to think on. He says, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Because of which the heavens will, and then he repeats, the heavens will uh, be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. He says, nevertheless, in verse 13, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Here's what he's writing to the beloved. He's saying, constantly consider our conduct and our focus. Daily. Hourly. Weekly, monthly, think about our conduct and our focus. Is our focus on the things above and not on things below? It's so easy, I, I confess. You know, I can get wrapped up in the circumstances upon which I'm involved. And I can easily be pulled down to living with those circumstances pulling at me in many different ways. And it just takes a moment in this, you know, in the spirit of God is to step back and go, wait a minute, Lord, you're above this. I want to place my attention upon you. I want to keep my focus upon you. And so I want you to order my conduct. The church is in great need of of good conduct and the right focus. He goes on in verse 14, and we'll wind down. He says, therefore, beloved, again, we come to uh, his emphasis on the beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot, and blameless. Be diligent to be found by him in peace. If, if the Lord were to come and knock on your front door and want to sit in the living room of your experience this morning, would he find you at peace with him? Would he find you at ease with, yeah, come on in, Lord. I've been wanting you to be here and Spend some time with me. I want to spend time with you. It's a, it's a powerful question. It's a question that, it's an admonition that Peter puts forth. And you guys are awfully quiet this morning. So I'm just going to say, you know, is that your intent this week coming? Is that you would open up the privacy of your heart and say, Lord, will you come in and make yourself at home here? And finally, Peter gives this last admonition to the beloved. He says in verse 15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, and this is when we get into what we read earlier, according to the wisdom given him, has written to you as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, 
which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. It's as almost as he says, but you. He doesn't use the word, the contrasting word, but. He says, you therefore, which does bring it into contrast to what was written ahead of it. You therefore, beloved, and here's his last emphasis, since you know this beforehand, here's what the Spirit of God would say to you and I this morning. Beware, lest you also from, fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Be aware, be steadfast, and grow in God's grace. Be aware, be steadfast, and grow in God's grace is Peter's exhortation. In light of the fact that scoffers are going to come, in light of the fact that the Lord in his day is nearing and upon us, this is what he says. You don't forget the Lord's view of time. Consider your conduct constantly. Remember where your focus to, is to be. Allow the Lord to come into the privacy of your home, the home of your heart, and find you at peace with his presence near you and to be aware, steadfast, and growing in God's grace. I think it's a powerful way to close his letter that, as you recall, as we studied this, he knows he's going to die. This letter was written with an eminent uh, knowledge that this is probably my last word, that I will be able to get out to anyone. And, uh, church history tells us that Peter uh, was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified in the same way as his Lord. What a powerful way to close his admonition to you and to me and to the believer throughout history. Scoffers are here. It's only been a couple of days. <laughs> He's near. He's coming. How's our conduct? How's our peace? Are we growing in grace? Will you join with me in a closing word of prayer? Worship team. Lord, we thank you for your great grace, for your tender mercies that are new every morning, for the work of your Holy Spirit, You've promised wherever two or more are gathered together in your name that you are there in our midst. And so, Lord, we ask you this hour that as you have spoken through your word, perhaps to each of our lives, that that which we've heard you say, we would now begin to live out in the week ahead. 
but we can't do it in our own strength, Lord. We need you. your spirit to come and make those changes in our lives that you desire. So we're here, Lord, to simply say, change us. Make us a little bit more like you this week. Do whatever's necessary for that to happen. surrender. In Jesus' name.